Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the actions and interests of skaters beyond skateboarding. I'm very excited to share this next episode with none other than Eric Swisher. Eric grew up skating in the 80s. In 2008, he launched a blog called The Chromeball Incident, on which he shared scans of photos from his collection of skateboarding magazines. A couple years later, he stepped up his game and started sharing interviews with pro skaters. Since then, Eric has published over 160 interviews with some of the most influential skaters and industry people of the last 40 years, including Eric Costin, Greg Hunt, Ed Templeton, Tobin Yelland, Mark Suchu, Dan Wolf, Anthony Van Englen, Andy Jenkins, or Tony Hawk, to name just a few. Now in its 16th year of existence, Chromeball has become a staple in skateboarding culture and shows no signs of ending anytime soon. So here's my conversation with Eric. I hope you'll enjoy it. start with the same question with everybody which is kind of how, how did everything start for you with skateboarding so I know that you studied like in West Virginia but before studying I assume you started skating probably years before that and uh, can you tell me about like growing up and picking up your first board and how how everything started for you right 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 well first off I want to apologize I've uh, kept you waiting on this for six months, and <laughs> now I have like a runny cold and cough situation, which is perfect for uh, <laughs> an interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I apologize to you and your listening audience. But yeah, I uh, skateboarding, I kind of got blindsided by skateboarding. I was in the fifth grade, so I was 10 years old. My friend Courtney, his brother skated. Mm hmm. His older brother skated, and we always thought he was cool, you know, it's like... And I guess one day he brought home Animal Chin, the video, and Courtney watched it that night. And then the next day he came to school, and uh, he was telling us all about this thing he watched, you know, the night before. You know, there's these guys, and they're looking for this Asian dude. <laughs> and, you know, they find a big ramp, and like... And we're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? But he just kept... and But, like... You know, he it got his brother's seal of approval, mm -hmm. and Courtney said it was cool. So, like, we went over to his house after school, and we were kind of just basically just blindsided by the entire skate culture mm -hmm. um, that day. Like, you know, there's all these colorful characters, and, like, they're, they're wearing these, like, weird clothes, and there's, like, this, like, wild lingo and stuff, and it was just fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, and also, Animal Chin is pretty much perfect. I mean, it's designed for 10-year-olds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was just like, I was just right there. One thing with that, I remember during the day at school when he was telling us about this movie, I remember Courtney described Lance doing the Nightmare Air. Okay. I don't know how familiar you are with Animal Chin, but it's just like this kind of like goofy skit he does, like Lance does in the movie. Mm -hmm. But Courtney told us that it was a real move and like Lance like went up a wall and like grabbed it and like went to sleep and came back down. And I thought that was like the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> so I was... I'm always a little disappointed when I watch Animal Chin, and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was bamboozled, but yeah, after that, yeah, I just started skating from then on, and that was 35 years ago. Okay. Yeah, I I was never sponsored or anything. Oh yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Like, if if you ever like tried to get sponsored or I I mean I was 
you know, everyone always thinks they're really good when they're 17. <laughs> but I like to think I was pretty good when I was 17. Mm-hmm. But um, it was like in the 90s at that point. And I mean, it wasn't so California centric, but it was still I mean, I was at that point, I was living in West Virginia. And it was I might as well have just been on another planet for the most <laughs> part. I filmed some stuff, but I never really tried to make a go of it. I think just being 17, I just thought it'll work out somehow. Like (laughs) (laughs) something will happen. Yeah. And uh, it didn't. (laughs) But um, not the way you anticipated, at least. Right. Exactly. I mean, like it kind of I kind of did this weird roundabout way of where I kind of I mean, I I never went pro or anything like that, but I kind of got the de facto consolation prize with it like second place like silver's pretty good <laughs> with all this chrome ball stuff and being able to it's beyond my wildest dreams but i mean i've been doing chrome ball for almost 15 years now yeah and i'm pretty sure my skate career would have if it would have been something in the 90s would have been like a year so <laughs> maybe i lucked out yeah but looking back my style is pretty gross <laughs> my style is and it's only gotten grosser over the years but yeah it was Speed was never my friend. So. <laughs> you didn't skate like Boosnitz or people like that? Like I am the opposite of Boosnitz. <laughs> I am like... A slow-mo Boosnitz? Or <laughs> slow and low. That is, that is my tempo, as they say. Um, yeah, I just... I mean, I could do the tricks... They just happen to look really gross. <laughs> so that was the give and take with my uh, skateboarding. Yeah. So and now at a- and now at age forty five, even the Mona Lisa's falling apart. So. <laughs> do you still skate at all to- nowadays? Like, do you do you get on a board every now and then, or do you- or do you kind of yeah not I- do it anymore? No, I skate every Sunday. Uh, there's a curb in town. I skate with my friend Gus and my friend Miles. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's it's a pretty sad state of affairs. <laughs> you know, we don't really go to the skate park or anything because it's one of those, like, those kids don't need to see this. They don't need, <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's just have fun under the cover of night <laughs> off somewhere else. But yeah, every about every Sunday I go skate with those guys and, my, and uh, Jamie. Okay. Yeah, so, so you still roll around and have fun with it, but yeah. No, I can understand yeah. going to a skate park, you probably get super frustrated immediately seeing kids flying around and doing incredible tricks and whatever. Everyone's so good now. They need to take it easy. <laughs> Always hot dogging with their fancy maneuvers. So. <laughs> exactly. And so I just mentioned that you studied psychology and journalism in West Virginia. I actually mm-hmm. thought that was interesting because that kind of, I mean, both uh, degrees must have, must have helped you a bit in, in uh, this endeavor with uh, Chromeball. But before we talk about Chromeball, I was just curious to ask you about like your work experience, basically, because from what I understand, Chromeball has always been like a passion project, if I can call it that. I don't think you've ever had advertisers or uh, sponsors, and I'm sure you must have had a lot of offers on the table at some point. So how did you try to balance uh, this, uh, like uh, doing Chromeball on, on one side and having a, a complete like work experience on the side? Yeah, um, and I'm impressed. You checked out like LinkedIn or something, didn't you? That's, yeah, 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 that's a good. That's a good move. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah, I kind of fell, you know, ass backwards into all this. To be honest with you, I got a bachelor's in psychology just basically because I had no idea what I was doing in college. I just felt like I needed to go to college, and it got to the point where I had to like choose a major. So I just almost like dartboard style. Okay, and then but did did you enjoy it or? It was all right. I mean, it wasn't really where my heart was at. Okay. 
I did get a master's in journalism, and I do enjoy journalism a good bit. It doesn't pay you very much. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, it's fun. I, I made the mistake of choosing something that I enjoyed and thought would be fun versus something that would, like, you know, pay rent and <laughs> enable, <laughs> you know, a, a, a lifestyle of means. Yeah. Chromeball started as it was basically. I was doing a lot of graphic design work at the time, just like just various creative endeavors. I made like some short films and stuff too, just because I was in my 20s and, you know, just kind of trying to figure out what I was doing. Yeah. And um, I had a, like, just like this total dead end real estate job at the time, just basically, it was basically like a, like a glorified call center. But I was doing this kind of graphic design work on the side and just growing up skating Everything in my head was like a skate reference for the most part. And I'd search Google for this stuff or wherever. This was 2008. And none of that stuff was on there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it meant so much to me. It was like burnt in my brain that like, you know, if I'm looking for this stuff, you know, other people more than likely are too. Mm -hmm. So it was just this random Kind of just, I mean, if I would, if I would have known then that I'd still be doing it 15 years later, I yeah. would have definitely approached it a lot different, or I, I would have approached it differently, mm-hmm. um, changed a lot of things. Like, for one, no one knows what the hell chrome ball incident means, but like, <laughs> yeah. made sense at the time. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it started out with scans, really, and it just kept on going and going and going as it gained momentum, because... The response was pretty immediate to it. And I don't know how that happened because it was just this, it's the same crappy blog spot that it's always been on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's awesome, actually. I really like that. Well, I mean, at this point, I keep it on that blog spot because it is just me and I'm not, I kind of like how, I mean, I guess DIY would be the name for it. For sure. But it's not like a slick presentation. It's just kind of just bare bones. This is what it is. Yeah. But no, I never advertised for it or anything. And I remember within like, I think it was like the first month, Andy Stone left a comment. He was a pro for Capital and Element. And he was one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. And Andy Jenkins, I think he emailed me or left a comment or something like that. And like he was, he's always one of my favorites. He's, I mean, that's what the masthead of Chromeball is, is Andy Jenkins. Mm -hmm. So I kind of felt that was like, obviously there's, this is getting some sort of reaction here. So I'll keep it going. And it was a lot because like those scan posts were like three or four hours every night of like finding the crap, scanning the crap, posting it up and it's a lot of crap, but, um, <laughs> but you know, it did lead to like a Nike job and like actually working yeah. within the industry. So I mean, right. it worked out, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of work. I honestly, and like the interviews kind of grew out of that, but honestly, the, the scan stuff, I can't even really look at a scan scanner now without just, oh man, yeah, like so many, tired so, <laughs> so many hours with that goofy thing. Yeah. It's like PTSD or something. And uh, yeah, the, the interviews actually started uh, a couple years later, right? Like around, I don't remember what year was the very first one with um, John Drake, but uh, maybe tw- 2009 or 2010? Uh, 2010 was uh, because those first two years, it was just all scan posts of just right. like old magazines and ads and things like that. 
Rob CC from Nike SB, he actually does side effect goods now. Mm-hmm. He hit me up randomly to uh, do like a chrome ball colorway for a dunk. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty ridiculous, but it's, I mean, it's an awesome opportunity. And, <laughs> um, and it actually was released with Blender, which is still kind of mind-blowing to me. But uh, it was coming out, and I felt a little... I had like an inferiority complex about my goofy little blog spot with just scanning old magazines. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to do something a little more to, you know, justify Step up my this. Game or, yeah. yeah, I guess. I, I don't really know how, but like, we'll see. And uh, it just so happened, like I was born in Gopolis, Ohio. I grew up in Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. And um, the only guys I knew from that zone that actually made it in the skateboarding industry were John Drake and Don Pendleton. Oh, yeah. They actually both worked at the quote-unquote local shop for me at the time, which was still an hour away. Okay. But they worked at it was, uh, Iguana Sport Gear in Huntington, West Virginia. And... Um, I mean, both those guys are several years older than I am. I was just the Grom that would show up every now and then to the shop. But, like, you know, both those guys were sponsored, and they were, they were like the dudes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, like, I'd sent some emails back and forth prior to jo- interviewing John. Because mm-hmm. he's always had a presence on the site, and Don, too. I mean, what those guys went on to do from our middle-of-nowhere corner of the earth was pretty amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like Don taught me how to do grip tape, how to cut my own grip tape when I was 11 or something like that. Mm. So it's just kind of funny to think about. But I did, yeah, I interviewed John. I had no idea what I was doing. It's funny because like John Drake was Chrome Ball interview number one. Yep. Him and Don were the only people I knew. So I didn't really even know if there was going to be Chrome Ball interview number two. It was just like, well, I did this and hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, let's see how, what, what happens next, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was pre-Instagram before right, yeah, you yeah. could, you know, slide into the DMs, as they say. Yeah, yeah. So I was lucky in that Chromeball had been going long enough by that time to where, like, I had a, a good fan base. Right. And so many people just reached out to connect me to other pros for those interviews. It's really pretty phenomenal. And I'm always, um, I'll always be super grateful to those guys for just helping out some random dude on the internet yeah a big one was my guy john constantino mm-hmm. he was like an embarcadero local back in the day it's funny if you see there's like that photo of cardiel and henry sanchez like together at embarcadero and if you look in the background john's like standing in between them oh, okay. <laughs> but he was just like he was just always in the mix okay. he connected me with so many of those early interview subjects i mean i can't thank that dude enough holy smokes yeah like i would say of those first 30 interviews i'd say probably 25 came from john just wow. then he didn't he didn't know me from anyone i could have been you know just a complete nightmare but he had faith in me yeah 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 that's amazing I don't remember who were the, I didn't write it down, but the, the next guests after John. But because I think in the first 10 interviews, you already had some pretty well-known skaters. Uh, I, I can't remember. Like, who, who was number two and three? Do you remember? Yeah. Um, number two was Chris Hall, because I remember. And that just worked out because he had chrishall.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had like a little website going because okay. he collects antiques, I believe. And a little like a little contact thing on his website. So I was like, well, oh, just email him. Like, hey. And he was fortunate enough to hit me back. He was gracious enough to hit me back. Yeah, yeah, say yeah. That. He, was, he didn't have to do that shit at all. <laughs> 
And Huff was number three. Oh, right, yeah. I remember he was early on. Which was, like, insane. Yeah. And, yeah, and it just kind of just took off from there. And it kind of, it's funny because a lot of, and I'm sure you get this with your, or you feel the same way with with your episodes, too. And it's not the interview subject's fault at all, but I don't really like a lot of my early interviews because I have no idea what I'm doing. And there's so many missed opportunities there. And I've sneakily gone back and interviewed a lot of those guys over again just because... Like, Huff was interview number three, but he was also, like, number 140-something. Like, right. I did him a couple of years ago, again, before he passed. And um, But then you updated uh, the interview number three? Like, you didn't create a, another interview for... No, I just, made, I just made a whole new one. I did that with Ronnie Bertino, too. He was another early one. And I remember Brian Anderson was an early one. I'd love to interview him again, because I'm pretty sure I had to... Yeah, that that was just the Brian Anderson one. I think I had like an hour to come up with questions and I was at work. And oh, it was like some crazy like... <laughs> Last minute uh, gig. Yeah, beat yeah. the clock, like choppers in the sky, good fellas kind of ordeal. <laughs> like it was, it was kind of a mess. But, you know, everyone's been so nice mm-hmm. on this. I'm really, I'm really lucky. And the fact that, you know, people seem to enjoy them and, and, and like them means the world to me. Yeah, yeah, and it's become such a like um, just a very important thing in skate culture, basically, like uh, just somewhere where you want to find good content, a very good interview. Like uh, I enjoy very much, for example, Epically Latered, even though Patrick doesn't do them anymore, but I used to watch them and really enjoy them. Sure. I loved the Nine Club when it started. Like now, I'll tune in every, you know, when there's uh, someone that I find interesting, but not necessarily every single time like I used to in the beginning. But yeah, you're, you're definitely in there for me in that mix of like super interesting, like backstory content about skateboarding. I appreciate it. Patrick and uh, Epically Later was a huge influence on me, especially in the beginning. Did he start before you started? Yeah, he was several years before Chrome Ball. Oh, okay. But after I started doing Chrome Ball, I know Patrick and Chris Grosso, who also worked for Epically Later, they started... I remember watching the Gino one. There was like a couple Chrome Ball scans in there. Okay. Which I was like super hyped on. And I I reached out to them and started helping, just sending scans over to them to just help just... Put together, yeah. Yeah, if I can help out with someone's presentation to make it even better, if I'm already a fan and if they need something from me, I'm all for it. Yeah, and yeah. that's kind of like that's kind of what that site. A lot of it is based on is like you know take that and just you know if you can use see what you can yeah. do with it. Yeah, I mean if it stokes you out, awesome. If you take that and put it in some project and that's even more that's that's fantastic you know yeah 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 for sure yeah and uh, i know that in uh, maybe more recent times you've worked also with like tim anderson of bob shirts and uh, i'm t- trying to think of another one that i uh... oh yeah no uh, of course it's uh, closer oh yeah like yeah, you did yeah, the, yeah. the the uh, in the la- latest uh, the number two issue you did the interview with uh, chico yeah and uh, but yeah, no, I'll, I'll ask you about that maybe a little bit later. But yeah, I was just curious, like about like um, doing these interviews. I was uh, interested in asking you about like, for, well, first of all, okay, let's uh, bring it back to starting Chromeball. Like, I understand that you called it Chromeball as a reference to uh, a Neil Blender comic. But can you tell right. me a little bit more about that? Because I couldn't really find what it is exactly, and how did you come up with that name? 
Yeah, no one, no one ever gets that for the <laughs> most part. They always go, you know, why did you name your site after pinball? Or, you know, whatever. Um, growing up in the Ohio Valley, I started skating in 87 or 88, one of those. And like I said, it was such a California-based cosmos, really. It was right. just, you know, you had New York and then like the slightest smattering. Mm-hmm. You had California and you had the slightest smattering everywhere else. You had like shut in New York, but that was, that was really about it. And then in 90, like late 90, they started Alien Workshop in Xenia, Ohio, mm-hmm. which is about an hour and a half from my house, which at the time, everything else was three time zones away. So like, you know, Neil Blender and Alien Workshop, and they're just right over there. Like, you know, yeah. they're coming out with these ads. They're super weird. I love Neil Blender anyway. And then like Memory Screen comes out and it's like this insane presentation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like basically an, an art film with skateboarding in yeah. it. But there's also spots in there that I had seen, like in real life, mm-hmm. that I, you know, that were in Ohio that I knew. And um, so Chrome Ball Incident was this comic strip that Blender would um, do every now and then. And they would just kind of pop up random places like in zines. One was in like an alien workshop ad. Mm-hmm. One actually at the end of memory screen, he like animates one. And that was actually... I was originally going to call Chrome Ball Incident. There's this Quim Cardona ad for real skateboards in 96. Mm-hmm. And he's got a lampshade on his head. And it just said blood, sweat, and lampshades. And for some reason, I thought that would be a great name for a blog. I mean, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's clearly not. But um, not that Chrome Ball Incident is that much better. But I liked I liked being able to use the numbers. Because he always had Chrome Ball Incident number 42 or whatever. And I just I kind of liked that. I wasn't really thinking about branding it at the at the time, right, but I yeah. guess I kind of once again fell backwards into doing that with it. And honestly, I don't know if I'd choose. I would probably choose, you know, a, a much more you know appealing, <laughs> <laughs> obvious, yeah, or obvious, catchy, yeah, catchy yeah, yeah. name for the blog. It's Chromeball. This is like super weird, but that's honestly kind of what I like about it. It's, yeah, you know, there's enigmatic and like to the five guys that know what that comic strip was, they're pretty hyped. <laughs> Everyone else is just scratching their heads. Yeah, 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 exactly. So as you said, you you started on Boxpot, and so as you were start like uh, getting this all started with first the scans, then the interviews, and getting more like um, attention or viewers. Did you ever at some point kind of think like maybe I could actually make a living out of this or, or like uh, only do this kind of, you know, make enough money to just do this? Or or did you always kind of want to keep this as it, it was originated as like a, a passion project and keep a job on the side to make money, but keep this as a, just a, a nice outlet for you? Well, the way it worked out, I can't say I'm some, you know, martyr type figure of you know, I'm typing for the culture and all this stuff. I mean, like, because that's not the case. I mean, like I said, the blog has completely changed my life. I was working a dead-end job in Pittsburgh, and Mark Whiteley hit me up to join, you know, the Nike SB team for a few years. And then, you know, from there I worked, you know, I, I did some stuff at Apple. I'm at Stance now. Right. And, you know, I've had all this, these other projects that all come from the blog. So I can't, you know, just say I'm not a saint in all this. Um, <laughs> but uh, one thing with Chromeball is that I've been careful and very protective of that. And 
I mean, obviously, I'd love to do it for a living, but I have found that I, because I don't make any money directly from the site, it allows me some freedom with it. I get away. I mean, the site itself is a copyright infringement nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I mean, good Lord. But because I don't really make any money off of it directly, then I feel like a lot of people, you know, look the other way. And at the, and at the same time, I'm not trying. So much of it is nostalgia based. I'm not trying to pimp out this thing I love or pimp out people's childhoods just to line my own pockets. That's not why right. I never did it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because I don't have advertisers, I can pretty much do whatever I want. Yeah. And I don't have to adhere to anyone. I mean, my God, I, I post, I mean, for the first five years, I posted almost every day. Mm-hmm. Now I might post like, once a month that's insane <laughs> that is that is not how you make it in you know today's digital world right is. Yeah. i'm gonna post maybe this month maybe you know <laughs> yeah but it, it allows it to stay pure in at least for me and it's just more honest that way i'm a terrible businessman anyway um <laughs> I mean, I've I've totally, I know I've blown so many chances to, you know, make money off it, but that's never what it was about. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I was curious, actually, to ask you, like, I don't know if you want to answer that, but like, what's the most outrageous brand that, that presented itself as a potential sponsor that knocked on your door and said, uh, Eric, uh, let's make you a millionaire or maybe not a millionaire, but uh, <laughs> like, let's, let's uh, pay you whatever this amount. Uh, and you put our logo here on top of the web page or whatever and, and do an Instagram post about us every now and then or whatever. Like, uh, what's the most ridiculous kind of sponsor that tried to approach you? Luckily, I'm kind of a jerk and <laughs> that respect of like, I'd see who it is and I don't even respond to them. And they never, you never get to like the money offer until the end anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just all your typical like weird streetwear brands that like I'm an influencer somehow, which <laughs> I'm not, or like some weird energy drink thing. You know, the usual suspects. Okay. So, or it's just like, hey, we got the dope fresh streetwear threads. And we're <laughs> coming. And it's like, they have obviously no idea what Yeah. I mean. They just know that you're imported in skate culture and they'd like to take a bite out of it or something. Or, yeah. Yeah. I, I popped up in an algorithm somewhere and they sent me a boilerplate email and, you know, they were going to send me free underwear or something. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm not interested in that. Yeah. 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 No, and I think that's great, actually, that you've managed to keep doing it so consistently and and without advertisers and everything. And to keep doing it with a, a full job on the side, it, it, I'm, I'm sure it must be tiring at times because it's a lot of work. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know how, how much work it represents for you to do all these interviews, but I'm sure it's a lot of work. And to do that with a side job and like a, to be like in a relationship and have a, like friends and family, whatever, have a full life basically and to, to manage to find time for such a time-consuming uh, hobby, if you want to call it that, it's, uh, yeah, it's no joke. I appreciate that, but I mean, it has... I mean, I get to interview heroes of mine, yeah. and I found myself in this position. I mean, you're in the same thing where I can ask these guys anything I want, and they respond like, "That's crazy. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> this isn't supposed to happen." So, like, I really enjoy that, and I want to do a, a good job with it too. 
I found myself in this unique position where I like want to honor the audience. I want to honor the person who's taking the time to talk to me yeah. and answer my nerdy questions about, <laughs> remember that time you did that one thing in 1989? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> How many tries did that take? Yeah, they don't know. But like, yeah. <laughs> So can you tell me a bit about like how you prepare your interviews? Because um, like your interviews are pretty long on the website, like uh, at least in length. Uh, and uh, I don't know how many. Oh, no, they're long as uh, hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, it de depends. Like I've, I've seen some like maybe in the earlier days, they were a bit shorter. I feel like maybe today they're a bit longer. Like one that was very long recently was the Mark McKee one. Yeah. Like how much time do you spend researching before you, you do the interview? And like, um, like, for example, Mark McKee, let's say, how early did you uh, start researching him before you scheduled like uh, an appointment to interview him? Right. Well, uh, going back to the link thing, even when they were short, they were still considered long. And they've definitely gotten longer. But it's kind of funny in that as the years have gone by, like people's attention span in that regard, a presentation of that has gotten so much more forgiving to where, you know, every episode of the Nine Club now is like three hours yeah, long. Yeah, two and a half. And, yeah, yeah. Whereas like, you know, before, like when I first started doing those, like, you know, some interviews would be like 5,000 words, which now, now they equal around like 10,000 words, 12,000 words. Okay. But when it was like 5,000 words back in the day, people were like, oh my God, <laughs> this is the never ending scroll of Jesus. And that's one reason why I don't like a lot of the early ones is because they are so short. I could, I mean, I can nerd out for hours. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> But uh, it's just a matter of like, you know, kind of trying to squeeze everything in before you lose everyone completely. I mean, it's the same thing with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I would say the research is uh, I don't do anything until like someone agrees to do an interview. Like I'll hit them up. Usually now it's through Instagram right. or just maybe like a like an email. But I don't do anything until they agree to it. And then I spend about, I'd say it's about four days or so. I just kind of, I go over all their video parts, look through, if they're an older guy, typically they're on Chromeball, I'll go through like their stuff. Mm -hmm. I'll read any interviews that come up, like if they had like an old trans world or like an old, you know, Thrasher interview or a skateboarder. And then um, I will check out, like if they've been on the Nine Club or the Bunt, I'll check right. those out. If Tim had them on Bob's shirt, I'll check those out. And just a lot of times, I mean, most times I'm fans of these guys prior. Yeah. So I'll just have like an initial burst of stuff that just immediately comes to mind. Right. Yeah, of yeah, just yeah. like things I want to talk about or ask about. And then once I research for, for a couple of days, that's when you get into like the nitty gritty, nitpicky nerd out questions. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets the same amount of questions because, I mean, like we talked about before we got on this was, you know, I get kind of self-conscious about eating people's day yeah. with like asking them about 1992. <laughs> but uh, yeah, about three or four days and then I, I schedule the call and, and we do it. Okay. But, um, and that's pretty much how it's always been for the most part. And like, how long do they usually last for like the interviews? Like, for example, I, I usually talk to people for at least an hour, sometimes two hours. I've had sometimes yeah. interviews that lasted five, six hours, but uh, then I right. trim them down to like an hour and a half, two hours, because I feel like over two hours is a, for a podcast is quite a lot. Uh, no, you're, you're, that's totally understandable. I get that too. Like, but since, since you, then you, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but like, since no, after, after, after you do the interviews, then you write them down, you type them down. Like, how do you say, you transcribe them? Yeah. 
Like, do you have kind of uh, an amount of time in mind when you start an interview? If you're like, oh, if, if we do over two hours, then it will be kind of too long. Or like, what, what's, what's your goal kind of when you start an interview? Um, you know, like I said, everyone has like the same amount of questions. I give people like a ballpark figure. Like it, it usually takes on average two hours. But it, again, it just depends on the person. Some people are more long-winded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like myself, I'm finding. Um <laughs> And, you know, some people will talk for, and, and that's fine. That's what I'm here for. It's, I'm stoked. They might not be, but you know, <laughs> I'm pretty hyped. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we do the interview. They usually go about two hours. Some people have gone much longer. But I take that and I transcribe it. And then, like, with you and, like, this presentation, it's about two hours. It's about time. Mm -hmm. With mine, it's more about, like, word count. And I usually kind of have these, like, I can look... And this is super nerdy, but like mm -hmm. I can look at all the interviews over the year of like where my ceiling has gotten higher and higher as far as like word count goes. Okay. And till like a couple of years ago where I just said, now it's around like 10,000, but if it's someone like McKee or Ed Templeton or Jason Lee, who yeah. are, you know, legends, I mean, might, I mean, they're all like Ed Templeton, my God, you have like 30 plus years of stuff he's done so yeah. much you know i mean it's kind of hard to like well i'm gonna ask one question about new deal now that's <laughs> that's all i got room for sorry fellas so but uh, yeah. like so it's basically you know as i transcribe it i basically just start whittling it down mm -hmm. and like kind of just you know maybe this question didn't work out so hot or maybe he addresses the same thing over here better and just kind of just whittling it down to like that target word count right zone I drive myself crazy with those <laughs> numbers to be perfect. Like I got to lose 157 more words. Here comes the contractions, you know, here we go. Or, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. That must be hard. Yeah. I, I've definitely had some hard times figuring out how to bring down like a six hour interview to an hour and right. a half or two hours. It's uh, just a nightmare basically. But, uh, well, and, and you do a podcast too. That's super hard. Like I don't have, that's a completely different muscle in that you're doing the interview and, you know, just got to be like an entertainment, you know, show factor to this. Yeah. Which, but I feel like it's, there's not as much pressure for me since I do only audio. Sure, that's like true. The, but the still, nine, the nine club, uh, is also video. So, right. And, and I, I feel like they don't edit much. Like probably they'll take out a, a part or something if, if a guest asked them. But I, uh, for the most part, it looks like they pretty much uh, released the interview as it went, kind of. Um. I'm not sure. I know that I've always been really impressed with their production value. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the show looks great. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, the cadence they've been able to do for this long is psycho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for I sure. mean, that is not easy at all. Like, But, I mean, that's a big strength of theirs is, you know, every Monday there's a nine club. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's a very different format than, than yours in the sense that they don't research their guests a whole lot before. Like, I'm sure they do, but probably not for four days, you know? Like, they probably just watch a couple video parts or whatever, read an interview or something. And, and for the most part, they just engage in a casual conversation, which is perfectly fine, but it's not really a, an interview, so to speak. It's more like a, a conversation between skaters. And, and that's what it's called, actually. It's a show that has right. skaters talking. Yeah, and that's what they're aiming for, and yeah. it's definitely working for them. I mean, their numbers are huge and, and good for them, yeah, you know? Yeah, for sure.
And I think, I just think they're just trying to highlight skateboarding in the most positive light. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, sometimes you could be a little critical of stuff, but that's their thing and it's working for them. And yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I appreciate that because I, I'm kind of the same. I'm not a very, like, a, I don't like conflict, you know, I don't like to make people feel uncomfortable. Like, for example, we've never met. I don't really know you. So I'm not going to ask you questions, <laughs> like super difficult questions, you know, or whatever, whoever's uh, I'm interviewing, I, I don't want them to feel threatened or, or like uh, judged or like, Like the whole point for me is just to have a nice conversation with someone whom I admire. And the Bund, for example, I feel like they're a bit more, they like to, you know, talk shit on some people or whatever. Just, uh, yeah, and yeah. Th that's fine. That's their style. Like, I guess that's how they are in, in life, you know, like the, the two guys who run it. Well, Chromeball is kind of positive by default because doing those scan posts back in the day, it was, you know, I house have to be a fan on some level of these people in order to spend three hours that night digging up photos of them to right. scan. You know what I mean? And my whole thing with Crumble is who the fuck am I? You know what I mean? Like I never went pro. This guy went pro. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to talk shit on someone, it can get back to them. And you know, who am I? You know, I'm just some guy on the internet. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. and my thought was always that the internet doesn't need another person talking shit. Yeah. I mean, there have been questions I've asked someone in an interview that were a little dicey, but it was mostly whenever I'm interviewing someone, it's not just for some sort of like gotcha moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've, if I'm interviewing someone, I am a fan of theirs. And if there's just something kind of controversial, I mean, most people have heard about it or it's a rumor or something. I'll address it. You know what I mean? And it's up to them you know, of how they want to respond to it or if they want to respond to it at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to do the interview, I want to put it out there. But it's never, I'm not like the National Enquirer or anything. I'm <laughs> just like, you know, ambulance chasing or whatever. You know, it's, it's always out of a place of respect. So um, did you ever think about turning Chromeball into like a podcast or into like a TV show or, or like something else kind of? Or, or did you always really want to stick to keeping it as a, as a blog as it is, uh, as it's always been? Did you ever think of uh, evolving it into something different? Um, I mean, the print format kind of came out of necessity in the beginning because I was in Pittsburgh when I started the blog and... I would be lucky to get people on the phone. So the print format allowed me the most flexibility. Mm -hmm. And now it's just to the point where, and I talked about this you know, a little bit ago, I don't have that podcast muscle where, I mean, I have like this like crazy Kermit the Frog voice and like <laughs> corny jokes, you know, my cat's going crazy. Like it's just not a good podcast scenario for me. When it comes to like podcasts like that, I just, I can't like keep the show moving or I can't, you know, like mm -hmm. sound effects or like, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> I, it's, I tried it a couple times. Just, I know, like I interviewed Jason Dill one time and he, yeah. just with what we were talking about, he wanted to record it and just put it on there oh, or so put he, it on he, YouTube. He asked you to do that? Mm -hmm, because it was, I remember it was like right when Gino got on the team. On FA, yeah. Mm -hmm. On FA, and he also announced hockey in that too. And it was just kind of like, it was a lot of stuff we wanted to get out there quickly. Okay. And not have, you know, Eric transcribe and see you in a couple weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that was his idea. And 
I gave it a shot and he did great. I mean, that's kind of the thing. Like when you're interviewing your heroes, they still sound like your heroes. You just sound like some bumbling dude. I mean, you don't sound, I sound like some bumbling dude reading questions. I'm like, hey, Mr. Coppice, when, when you allied that hydrant, oh, you know what I mean? Like, no one wants to listen to that. So like, now it's like print, like if I throw out like an air ball joke. Yeah. I can edit that shit out. It's like it never happened. You know, like, that's just between me and, you know, my hero who thinks I'm a boob. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I, I guess you can do the same thing with podcasting. I mean, I've definitely edited out from interviews parts where I I felt just super nervous and just kind of yeah. felt like who an idiot. Were you you the most, who were you the most nervous to interview? Um, that's a good, well, uh, I just interviewed Michael Burnett not long ago, like, uh, yeah. two weeks ago, I think. So I was very nervous interviewing him <laughs> uh, and he's extremely yeah. sarcastic. I don't know if you know him well, but, uh, like he's, uh, really, really funny, but like, uh, yeah, I was, I was a bit worried that I would, uh, just, gotcha. just sound like an idiot, but it went, it went well. And another one was, uh, Scott Bourne. Oh, wow. Yeah. I could see that one being... Yeah, because also he, I interviewed him in person, and that was actually another question I had for you because I did most of my interviews over Zoom calls, like we're doing right now, because most of sure. a lot of the people I've interviewed are either in the states or far away, and I'm not right. going to take a plane every time, obviously. Like, and Scott, Scott living in Paris and ha- having lived in Paris for many years now, I actually got his email f- through someone, and uh, I wanted to do it over Zoom, but he doesn't have a phone. He doesn't even have a cell phone. He doesn't have a phone. No, he's uh, he's like super old school and he has only like a landline phone. Oh, okay. all right. So he has a phone. Just yeah. Not, okay. Just, I thought just it was not like a, a cell phone. Carrier pigeons or like, you know, the <laughs> smoke tele- <laughs> telegraph. Exactly. Freaking coconuts or like tin can wires. Maybe, maybe he does. I don't know. But <laughs> I mean, he's an interesting guy. He you is, never know. But, and so. he's also, he is, he's super like intimidating because he's like super like strong and like tattooed and kind of badass yeah. and everything. And, uh, and, and he, he, he told me to meet him as his, at his place. So I went to meet him. You went to his house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he told me, like, oh, meet man, me uh, in, uh, like, near uh, the Père Lachaise in Paris. Uh, and sure. so I went there, and, uh, and I, like, walked up, and I was super nervous, like, uh, you know, my heart pumping and everything, like, super. And, I opened, uh, like, I knocked on the door, or I rang, whatever, and he opened, and I instantly felt that he was much more nervous than I was, actually. <laughs> Yeah, that's typically how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, going to his house is pretty gnarly. Yeah, I haven't yeah. done that one. Yeah, and it, it turned out, well, I, I think uh, at least I enjoyed my chat with him. It, you know, once he opened the door and we started talking, all this kind of uh, anxiety kind of faded and, and I felt more, sure. much more comfortable. I'm sure you're the same with your guests. Yeah. And uh, But it's just a build up to uh, as soon as you start talking and then kind of things uh, cool down. Well, I think what, I mean, you've done your research on me and I try to do that the same with my guests. And I feel like that is comforting to someone. I mean, it's, it's always, uh, you know, it always feels good when someone knows things about you, Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean? And, you know, that's humbling and it's, it's a nice feeling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, actually, the question I wanted to ask you was, um, since I told you I, I do most of these interviews over Zoom calls, like, uh, how much sure. of your interviews have you done in person versus, uh, like, on phone calls or Zoom calls? Because I know, I know the Dill one you just mentioned was a phone call, if I remember correctly, like... Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, no, it was a phone call, and we just plopped the internet on... Uh, I remember Benny made a montage of it. Yeah, like some images of... Uh, mm-hmm. Like some, some FA collages of him. Yeah. We, we had to cut some of those out. Turns out YouTube isn't exactly the bastion of free speech when it comes to that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Image-wise, anyway, there was some boobies. <laughs> um, I think like the first 10 or 15 or so, for the most part, were email interviews. Okay. Which... I don't recommend it at all, but you know, I, was, I had no idea what I was doing mm-hmm. and the prospect of potentially getting on a phone call with Keith Huffnagel terrified the shit out of me <laughs> yeah. um, at the time. Now it's, you know, as you do more of these, as I'm sure you found, you just get more and more comfortable with it. And like you said, like first couple minutes is always a little weird. And then you just get like kind of a rhythm going and you talk to that person and you break the ice. And, you know, then at the end, you feel like you've made a pretty good connection with that person. Yeah. I've done a few in person for Chromeball. I interviewed Matt Beach at a skate park Mm -hmm. and um, I interviewed uh, Sean Malto in person and he was super nice. He's the professional. That was actually going to be for... Ah, we won't get into that. But like, <laughs> but yeah, Malta is Malta is a good dude. And you know, sometimes you know, I said that about email. Sometimes even now, there are people that prefer to do the email method. I'm just saying that. I mean, of the last like 100 I've done, I think maybe one was through email. But that was Dan Drahobel. Oh yeah. And oh, and Caesar Singh was through email too. Mm-hmm. And they both just said, "Listen, man, if you get me on the phone, you're going to get like." two words <laughs> so so let me type this out and it's going to be a whole lot better product and I was, yeah i gotta respect their wishes and sure i liked how both those came out so yeah it's just everyone's different you know for sure but, like yeah. as far as like a podcast i'm even now like i'm talking to you i got like the window over my face on the zoom thing mm-hmm. like we're talking <laughs> on the i'm recording on the phone i you know it's it's like a it's a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. No, i understand I, I i've gotten used to it uh after doing it for a little bit but uh, i understand it's uh yeah it's it's a whole process and it, it's a bit strange it's easier to do these interviews in person i found i haven't done much but maybe like between five and ten interviews in person including the one with scott that i mentioned mm-hmm. and uh, that that makes for uh, a really good conversation since you're you're in the same room you can really you know just the conversation is a lot more authentic i feel but uh yeah i mean i i, I like this there is a definite connection but i've found because mine are just on the phone and i'm recording with like a cassette player and it kind of like frees people if it does go for longer than expected mm-hmm. it allows them to like because i mean i've i remember i think i interviewed sal barbie while i was working on his car mm-hmm. i definitely interviewed max while he was working on a motorcycle Every now and then you'll hear someone like taking a leak. <laughs> I won't give out any names. And, you know, sometimes they'll flat out tell me like, hey, man, got to take a piss. Whereas <laughs> other times, I just, sometimes it's just me like deducing clues of like, I, th- I think he's urinating right now. It's cool. It's cool. You know, we've been on Or taking a, a shower, which would be. <laughs> no showers, but that would be pretty impressive. I was, I was wondering, like, I told you that I usually uh, send my interviews when they're, once I've edited them to my guests mm-hmm. to uh, let them, you know, listen to them if they want. And, and sometimes they'll tell me, like, oh, I'm not going to listen to it, whatever, like, I'm fine with it, you can release it. 
Uh, and sometimes some people have told me, oh, like at one minute point zero three seconds, I say the word if twice. Can you please remove the second if? Or, and I've, mm -hmm. I've gotten a few people who've said that. And uh, and I was like, oh, my God. And like a full list of, uh, you know, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I'm going to just lose my mind doing all this shit. But like, for I, sure, since I offered to do that, I, I'll do it, you know. But I was wondering if, if you did the same kind of. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, and you don't want to burn people. Right, yeah, Because, I mean, they don't have to do these interviews. Yeah, You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Like, they're taking time out of their day to, you know, do this thing with us. And we want to honor that. And, you know, if you burn them self-servingly, you might not be interviewing too many other people. Yeah, exactly. Beyond that, because, you know... It's going to get out like, hey, this guy's an asshole. Yeah. But yeah, you definitely get the whole myriad of, of feedback. Because I always send over a draft, too, just to make sure everything's kosher and I heard everything correctly. Mm -hmm. Just because sometimes it just over the course of conversation, things get trampled or mixed up or whatever. Yeah. I remember when I interviewed Javante Turner, he just had one piece of uh, feedback I remember he, he called me, I think he was like giving his daughter a bath or something in the <laughs> bathtub. And I remember he goes, hey, man, I just want you to know one of those paragraphs said I was smoking crack. I wasn't smoking crack. I was selling it. And I was like, oh. that's a good uh, distinction, Javante. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure which one is worse. <laughs> point, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, a, it's point taken and I will, you know. Wow. amend that for accuracy but i just i was that's a pretty crucial uh you know distinction there <laughs> but yeah i get that too i remember some people just go nuts on them but like yeah. some people were super some people could care less yeah it's yeah, just sure. on the person i remember jason lee when i interviewed him i remember he changed something it was like i like this and this is over the course of like a week or so he changed it to really like to love back to really like and it was like <laughs> i mean whatever you, whatever it takes jason I'm, I'm, you're one of my all-time faves i'm just happy to be here but yeah if that's what it takes to make you happy i am all in so. <laughs> and so what would you say is like the the most pleasant part for you of doing these interviews i'm talking about the whole process not just doing the interview itself but like What do you enjoy the most doing, like the research, actually interviewing the people or like um, releasing it online and seeing the comments come in and people saying like a good job on this interview or whatever? Like, what would you say is your the moment that you enjoy the most? I mean, when people like something, that always feels great. Right. But probably the part that feels best for me is when an interview has gone really good like right after I get off the phone, you know, because at that point I've researched all this stuff. I played the phone tag game of getting them on there. And when it goes really well, that feels really good because mm. it's, you know, not only were you successful in what you pointed out to do, the little kid part of you, which you should never lose touch of, the little kid part of you is just like, yeah, mm -hmm. I just talked to Max Schaff for three hours and it was awesome and <laughs> I made him laugh and he was super cool and it's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah, just like that base sure. level or like, I just talked to Tony Hawk today. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're like, just great. Hey, mom, I talked to Tony Hawk. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, it's that's probably the best thing. And like, you know, finding out these little nerdy nuggets of trivia that like, it's like, oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, that's, that always feels great. 
And uh, like uh, on the opposite, like what's what's one thing that you really don't like at all doing? Like I, I can assume, like for me, for example, I hate editing like uh, the, the interviews because it's very long and I spend hours mm -hmm. just listening to them. And whenever I hear like a, a sound or like if there's a long pause or whatever, like I'll take all this out. So I spend just right. countless hours editing this. Uh, and I'm sure like for you, it's probably the transcribing the whole pieces is probably this kind of the same process. But right. uh, yeah, like... Like, would you say that's what you dislike the most or, or like uh, is there some other parts that you don't enjoy much doing or probably the the transcribing part is awful because it's just you know just typing a three-hour conversation is i mean that's just a lot of typing yeah and i know you can like pay to have that done but i've kind of shied away from that because in transcribing i get a better feel for the material yeah as i'm going so it helps in editing later on versus like a vague memory of me geeking out on the phone talking to the guy like as a transcribe i can kind of get a better feel for it and also i've found that a lot of those transcribing things aren't very good when it comes to like technical skate terms oh yeah for sure yeah you know what i mean so you get like these like weird words so you end <laughs> up like going in half the time redoing what they did so i've only done that once or twice the transcribing service right yeah so yeah, yeah. yeah transcribing is definitely the the drudgery And so I was wondering, like, how much do you kind of um, script your interviews, so to speak, in the sense that do you have a lot of questions that you really stick to or do you kind of improvise or do you, or do you have like just key points of things that you want to bring up in the conversation? How organized are you in, in like doing these interviews? I'm pretty organized just because I'm afraid. I'm always afraid I'm going to get on there and have some brain fart and uh -huh. just like totally flip out and just not remember anything. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sorry, Mr. Coppas. Holy shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so like pretty much all the questions are, are written out and in a, like kind of like a rough order. And then there's there's always room for like, you know, impromptu questions or follow ups or whatever from that. You got to be flexible in that way. But yeah, it's it's all pretty much and I, I can, you know, mix them around order wise for the most part. But like my interviews mostly are a timeline retrospective. Yeah. So it kind of just starts from the beginning and goes up to present. Right. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. sometimes I'll start out with something kind of different, but that's typically how they go. Yeah, I've seen that throughout your interviews that you, not every time, but, but often you've uh, started with a, like a random kind of question about something. Right. And, uh, and then eventually a, a, a few paragraphs later start at the beginning, like uh, childhood, picking up a skateboard and stuff. Right, right, right. I mean, like this last one I did with, with Sattva, I found out all this kind of unusual stuff about like his great grandfather was oh, yeah, a medicine yeah, yeah. man who got paid. Having a lot of wives know, or paid something, and wives right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And like his dad married Groucho Marx's daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. I just thought that was like super interesting, but there's really no way you can drop that in, you know, like <laughs> in the middle conversation. of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like, and I think I even asked him, like, what happened to his tooth, which is like kind of a. That's kind of an asshole question now that I think about it, but he took it really well. He was a nice guy, but like, you also can't really, you know, you can't really throw out questions about your great grandfather. Like, so after heavy metal, but before you did welcome to hell, let's talk about your great grandfather. That's not exactly, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a weird turn in the road. Exactly. So, yeah. Might yeah. as well just throw it in there at the beginning and, uh, exactly. And then, you know, kind of gets kind of like a good mood going yeah. you know what i mean right yeah you can have a good laugh at the beginning and yeah for sure right 
And so I was wondering, like, did you draw a lot of inspiration from other people for doing the interviews or doing Chromeball, anything at Chromeball? Did you draw a lot of inspiration from other people in skateboarding, like other journalists or interviewers or even outside of skateboarding? Are there people that you've um, kind of um, that you enjoy the work and, and you try to kind of take some some elements of how they how they operate and, and integrate them into your uh, work? Yeah, that's a good question. For sure. I like I said, Epically Latered was a big mm-hmm. influence on me early on. Outside of skateboarding, I was like those Nardwar interviews. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And honestly, those Howard Stern interviews, when he moved to Sirius, his interviews are really good. Mm-hmm. Charlie Rose always had some really good interviews. And even like in skateboarding, I've found there's just been kind of like a lot of people coming out of the woodwork and doing really great work. Like, I was like Kevin Wilkins growing up. Mm-hmm. But even now, like, I get super hyped on Farron Golding, who does oh, yeah. some stuff for uh, Quarter Snacks. And I've always loved what Tim does at Bob's Shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I've always kind of felt like Farron and Tim, and even, like, epically later, we're all kind of, like, on the same mission. Yeah, kinda, yeah. You know what sure. I mean? Like, a lot of the same... And like those heck ride interviews are really good. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. cool to see all that stuff come out in recent years and people doing just such a good job. Yeah. You yeah. know. That's kind of a random question, but you've you've had a lot of like super legendary skaters and some some that are ne- not necessarily legendary but like um uh, skaters from the 90s and um just people um that you grew up watching skate and everything. Um mm-hmm. And you've had iconic people, like uh, you mentioned Tony Hawk, you had Costin, Ave, uh, a lot of uh, epic pros. But I don't think you've ever had people that were kind of a, in a more kind of sports category of skateboarding, especially nowadays with, you know, skateboarding being in street league and, and the Olympics that happened last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I understand that's not your style. That's not the kind of skating that maybe that interests you the most. But uh, I was wondering if you would consider for Crumball or for another publication, whatever, like, would you interview people like Nigel Houston or, or people that are in Street League or stuff like that? Would you be interested in talking with these people or, or not really kind of? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, if I think they're interesting, by all means, when I was at Nike, I would have to interview. I mean, they sponsored Street League mm-hmm. for several years, and I would have to interview a lot of those guys for Nike. And I actually have interviewed Nija one time for this. Uh, I did this piece for Transworld about handrails, and it was kind of like a roundtable deal. Okay. And I mean, if you're going to talk handrails, you kind of got to interview Nija. For sure. And he was, I remember, I think he was talking to me from his Maserati. Just. <laughs> <laughs> crazy to think about but i'm pretty sure he was it was either a maserati or a lamborghini but you get the point yeah yeah. but he couldn't have been nicer about that i mean granted i was just asking him about handrails which he's clearly you know well versed in the subject but he was super nice um i know previously i've opened up the subjects of who i interview for the site in recent years i think before it was always, you know, 90s guys and, yep. you know, 80s guys, 90s guys. But like I've definitely kind of, you know, as I got more comfortable doing interviews and my audience got to accept more of that, I could go off and interview younger guys, artist guys, filmer guys, whoever. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, too, because how you see people is different because I wasn't always 
even when I worked at Nike, it wasn't, I mean, I liked Paul Rodriguez, but I, I wouldn't say I was like the biggest fan of Paul Rodriguez because that just wasn't my generation, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But watching him evolve and, you know, I've been around him a good bit, but just like all he's done, I'm like a huge fan of Paul Rodriguez now. Yeah. And he was like the contest guy. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And but how he's stuck to his guns and he's really just kind of just came out the other side. Just this is who he is. And he's clearly a legend and stuff. I think that's fascinating. I'd love to interview him. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, to your point, though, I can be a little snooty when it comes to the contest dudes. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah. especially since they're younger guys, maybe they don't have as much stories as um, older right. former pros and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, that's the sneaky bit with my interviews. I was like, some guy is going to have way more life experience in their 40s than they are like 17 and had one video part. It's just a different animal. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's, I don't feel it's super interesting to ask them, like, how do you kickflip or something like uh, <laughs> Who cares, you know? <laughs> so do you, you guys like the TikTok? What's, what's that all about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so among the interviews for Chromeball, who would you say, not as your favorite, but like who's, who's uh, someone that really surprised you that you probably ha hadn't met with prior to doing the interview? Who's someone that really surprised you, whether through his personality or through the stories that they, he shared with you? Like, is, is there someone that really kind of uh, you didn't expect at all that interview to go that way or, or that person to be like that? Or Good question. Um... I think the one that immediately comes to mind is probably Danny Way. Oh, yeah? Obviously, you know, Danny's been around forever. He's invented entirely new terrains, and he's pretty gnarly dude. He's like half robot at this point, like <laughs> yeah. metal endoskeleton. <laughs> and he was definitely one of those ones where I was nervous calling because I didn't know how it was going to go. I And I had like some questions I wanted to ask that he could have easily gotten pretty aggro about. Okay. And, like, you know, there's all these, you know, there's always those, like, long-standing rumors about him. And yeah. And I'm the jerk that actually asked him about that. <laughs> But he couldn't have been nicer. And he was so gracious with his time. And, I mean, it, was, it wasn't the easiest interview to put out because we addressed some stuff that his, I don't think his management at the time was too hyped on, but he was just an honest, and I just, I came away from that. Those are always the best interviews was when you walk away a bigger fan. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely sure. walked away from that a bigger fan. Like, mm -hmm. I can't vouch for, you know, his entire, I can't vouch for anyone's entire life of whatever, but I feel like he's definitely misunderstood to a degree. And I feel like, you know, him coming up, he had nothing. Mm -hmm. And he was this insane child prodigy who is being kind of characterized as the rival to Tony Hawk, the world's most popular skateboarder. Yeah. And, you know, Tony's a grown man and they're like prank calling Danny's house. He's like 12 years old and his mom's picking up. That is insane. And yeah. just to like, just to grow up like that and just be this gnarly machine. <laughs> <laughs> But I felt he really took me by surprise. Okay, interesting. Not that I thought he was going to be a jerk or anything. No, no, but for sure. I just didn't know how it was going to go. And he came away just pretty awesome. Unexpected, kind of. Mm-hmm. I do think if you've had a career that spans so many years, you basically by default, you're not that big of a jerk. 
because if you're that big of a jerk, people aren't going to want to fuck with you. Mm. And you know what I mean? And like skateboarding has a way of weeding out those types. That's true. Yeah. Because there's been some amazing skateboarders that have fallen to the side just because they were assholes. Personality wise, exactly. Absolutely. So that's that's one thing I've found over the course of doing this is, you know, the power of the van. I said, uh, and I've kept saying throughout this interview, you've interviewed not everybody, of course, there's still a lot of people uh, out there for you to interview, but you've had pretty much uh, all the legends, kind of. Um, I was just thinking of trying to find people that you haven't had, and I came up with just this small list and of people that I'd love to see <laughs> Chromeball interviews of. Like, there's Chad Muska, I believe you haven't had him. Man, I've been trying to do that one for years. And he even has a broken leg in Ohio, but, like, I still can't get him on the phone. Yeah. So. I've been trying that one. I love this. I want to see who else you come up with. <laughs> so, yeah, Chad would be sick for sure. Uh, and especially, as you said, since he's been injured, maybe it's uh, still a good time to uh, catch him. Uh, right. Steve Rocco is also an obvious one, but mm-hmm. I, I guess yeah, probably a sure. difficult man to track down. And probably he wouldn't. I don't know if he would be down to address all the things that happened uh, during that whole time period. But ha- have, you, have you tried to uh, reach out to him or? You know, it's weird. I I really haven't just because it feels like such a long shot. And the interviews I have seen with him, he doesn't remember a lot of stuff anyway. But even more than that, I feel like some guys, they can play that elusive enigma card to their advantage. And it's almost better that way. I would love to have a Rocco interview, mm-hmm. but it's kind of cool that he's too cool to do the damn interview. That's true. Like... Yeah. I would kill to interview Julian Stranger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's kind of cool that, you know, Julian Stranger can just be in the corner somewhere just being awesome mm-hmm. and you don't know. Same same thing with Blender. You know yeah, what I mean? Somet- yeah. It's sometimes it's the mystique model. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Sometimes it's just better. If you can make it work, even like Heath Perchart, you know what I mean? Like, I'd love to interview that guy. Yeah. Kind of cool that you can't. You know what I mean? Like, he can get away with that. Whereas, like, other guys just like, who the fuck this guy think he is? You know what (laughs) I mean? Like, you're not that interesting. Whereas, like, some people can pull that off, and it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Another one I'd love to see a Chrome Ball interview of is Tom Penny. But he's obviously a very difficult man to check down. I know, I know, he's in France right yeah. now. Actually, he's in he's in Bordeaux. I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen him on Instagram um, skating with some some people in Bordeaux. But uh, yeah, I, I think he's someone that wouldn't want to uh, do, especially not a podcast. Maybe he would do a, a Chrome Ball one day, but like a written interview, but maybe not a, a podcast. I guess it would be a bit too intimate, kind of. Or right, right, yeah. Any any of those guys that you just mentioned, if they happen to be listening to this, which. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of unlikely to think about but yeah <laughs> hit hit me hit me up by all means or hit up quentin and go on this podcast you know what about like uh, another one is arto arto sorry have, did you did mm-hmm. you have him or no i don't think i so. tried doing that one for well he had that amazing epically latered for a long time and i yeah. kind of feel like that blew it out the water but i've been kind of going back i was actually trying to do that for closer oh yeah I just he's like he's in Hawaii now. He's you know shooting, living his best life out there. Yeah, yeah. He's he's doing his thing. He he doesn't need my goofy ass to <laughs> come along and rain on his parade. He's doing just fine. Yeah, but yeah, I'd love to. 
You just mentioned Closer. Uh, we talked about it a, a couple times, but uh, yeah. So I don't remember if you had an interview also in the first issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I, I haven't gotten the first one. I only got the second one. But uh, who did you interview in the first one? The first one was uh, John Lacero. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And the second was Chico. And the third one is getting ready to come out. And that's uh, Josh Kalis. Oh, nice. Awesome. So, Whom you've already had on Chromeball, right? Yeah, that was 2012, I think. Oh, okay. So and, pretty early uh, on. Yeah, and he was another one of those where I kind of wanted to do a longer, newer one. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And he's just kind of the best dude anyway, whereas, like, he'll just tell you flat out what he's thinking, and he's like... No bullshit? Yeah. He's not trying to cool guy you. Like, he can get into the weeds with the details, and he's not afraid to say his point of view on stuff where, you know, other people might tiptoe around right. stuff. He'll just flat out tell you. <laughs> He tried convincing me to buy a Lamborghini in my interview, <laughs> okay. which is was funny. he was he successful or? <laughs> I, evidently, you can t- take out. A, I think it's he said you can take out a fifteen-year loan, which I don't think would be the best investment move for my financial portfolio at this moment with my free blog. But you know, it's something to aspire to. But no, Josh is the best. He's super funny. Cool. He's just in his garage smoking cigarettes with his Lamborghini. So, so you're gonna have a an interview in every closer issue, I guess. Is that is that kind of the plan, or? Yeah, that's the plan. It's kind of nice just to get out of the Chrome Ball bubble mm-hmm. and kind of be able to collaborate with you know Jamie and you know Sammy does the layouts and stuff. It's it's kind of just cool seeing this stuff on paper versus an ugly green blog spot. <laughs> And just Jamie's a good friend of mine. He lives here in town. We skate sometimes when Jamie's really good at skating. He is, yeah. I see his clips on Instagram. He's uh, he's ripping, yeah. He kind of blows the old man curve that I was talking about of like, you know, there's my buddies that we just go out and we just have fun. And then Jamie just comes through and just grinds the entire block yeah. to whatever. And it's just like, Jesus, dude. But yeah, Jamie's just a solid dude. I've known him for a while mm-hmm. and he's just a good friend. And he started this thing and I thought he was out of his mind <laughs> starting a print magazine in 2022. But he just loves skateboarding so much and he's just such a good dude. He's always been good to me. And he puts everything into that magazine. So, mm-hmm. of course, I'm going to try and help him out, too. I mean, it's it's a win-win situation for both of us. And I'm I'm really hyped on it. I'm really happy how that worked out. He lets me do whatever I want. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like he's seen the quality of your interviews. So I'm, I'm sure he trusts you're going to come up with some, some cool content. I mean, yeah, he doesn't need mm-hmm. to tell you what to do. Yeah, that's been really good. I saw in this interview you did uh, about 10 years ago, it was um, uh, in 2011, it was for, I saw this on the X Games website for some reason. It was with some a guy called Mike Munzenreiter. I don't know if that... Yeah, is Mike Munzenreiter, pride yeah. of uh, Minnesota. I think he actually is on that Mostly Skateboarding podcast now. Mike's oh, okay. been around for a while, yeah. And so I'm going to quote you on this. You said, I always think it'll end, talking about Chromeball, it'll end in a couple months. But I've been thinking that for the last year and a half. And that was in 2011. <laughs> so you, you were pretty much like three years in, more or less. Yeah. And now it's now we're almost in 2023 as we're speaking. And you keep, uh, you know, killing it, bringing amazing interviews. And uh, it doesn't seem like you're anywhere near uh, finishing this or stopping it. So like, how, how do you see uh, the future of Chromeball, basically? Well, and you've done your research. Good job. But like, 
That interview was back when I was doing those scan posts. And it was, I was posting almost every night, like three or four hours a night. And when you do those scan posts, there's only so, it, it's a finite resource of material you can use before you start getting into like, kind of like the outer edges of just things that people are psyched on. And you don't want to get, you're constantly using it, using it, using it until you're just kind of in a corner just like, well, here's, uh, here's just some crap no one cares about, you know? <laughs> And, you know, you don't want to, when you're spending all your spare time doing that stuff, you don't want to do that. And no one wants to see that. So I did end Chromeball in 2013. I just did a bunch of interviews and I thought like I was just so tired from having done it every night for five years. And I just, I was just so burnt out out on it and so unhappy. And I didn't think, I don't know, I just, I just needed to get away from it. But okay, and I did. I all those daily scan posts have ceased since. But after like four months or so, I just missed. I found myself in that position where, like I talk about, like I can hit up some of these guys and they'll do an interview. I can ask them whatever they want and yeah. they'll answer. And Instagram was becoming a thing to where I could ask those guys directly. Like it was so much easier. And there are all these guys that like I hadn't interviewed and I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I slowly kind of just crept back in. And it's just now more on my own terms versus like that cadence we were talking about before. Like every night, I just couldn't do that after a while. And I think the work suffered too because it was just constantly, the turnover was just too much. I see. So now, like the last like 10 years or so, it's just, I mean, I'm constantly working on stuff, but there's no deadline. It's just whenever it's ready, I put it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, And I'm happier that way. I have a little bit more of a life now versus like looking at 30-year-old skateboard magazines <laughs> every night. But I still, I mean, there's only so many people I can interview as well. So, and not everyone wants to do an interview. And by no means does everyone have to do an interview with me. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I just don't want to overstay my welcome, really. But, I mean, now I just work in this weird murky area where I post something like once a month, once every two months or something. And that works for me. And people seem to be hyped Yeah. when I post something up, which always feels good and makes me keep doing it. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I get curious about people. And, you know, hopefully someone else is curious about that person, too, and I can stoke them out. So this is kind of random, but I saw on your Instagram a few months ago, I think you went to like a premiere for like a Kubrick movie. I don't remember which one. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a Clockwork Orange or another one. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. So I assume you're also a big cinema enthusiast. Yeah, for sure. I'm a huge film nerd. It's kind of like the opposite of skateboarding for me where, I mean, like film's been over 100 years and there's all these weird little pockets you can dive into and right. uh, yeah. find these details about Whereas like skateboarding, I, I've been doing it since I was 10. It feels very much a part of me. Whereas yeah. like I've always, I've always watched movies, but it's not like I was ever like, you know, in the industry there or anything. So there's always like a sense of detachment there. And I just, and I feel like a lot of that comes from just like growing up filming, mm-hmm. skating and stuff. And it's like such like a DIY thing. And then there's like independent film movement and things like that. French New Wave, things like that. Yeah, yeah. But no, the the Kubrick thing, it was through Jake Rosenberg, who's a, a yeah. friend of mine. I mean, kind of going back to what I was saying, he is friends with uh, Leon Vitelli, who, RIP, he was Kubrick's 
personal assistant. There's actually a documentary about him called Film Worker. And um, I mean, I'm a huge Kubrick nut. Yeah, yeah. He's basically kind of like one of the very best. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was in L.A. It was Malcolm McDowell was doing Q&A with Clockwork Orange. But I went with Leon and Jake to the thing. And it was like it was a night I'll never forget. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) I annihilated Leon with questions for like hours. Just (laughs) annihilate him. And he couldn't have been more gracious. And just entertained every stupid thing I asked. Like, it was, that was incredible. Yeah, yeah. must have been, yeah, for sure. So uh, since I saw that, I figured that you must have been like uh, a big uh, film enthusiast. And um, I was wondering if you ever considered doing a similar thing than Chromeball, but with cinema, basically, like doing interviewing directors, actors, just iconic people in the film industry. Did that thought ever cross your mind or... I like you, Quentin. These are good. You're doing a good job. <laughs> Thank you. I would love to do that, but I don't think I could do the subject justice. I don't think I could do a good enough job. You know what I mean? Like, there would be other people that could tell that story better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, like I was saying, like skateboarding, I've been doing it since I was 10. I remember as I was going, I mean, one of the reasons why my interviews have some of the details in them is because I remember as it was happening real time and I kind of, I was around for that. So it, it like hits skateboarding in junior high and high school hits harder than when you're in your twenties and thirties, just because of your age. Yeah. So, I mean, I can like interview like Ronnie Bertino, no problem Mm -hmm. versus like David Fincher. I mean, I didn't go to film school and I just, I don't think I would have the tools to really do that justice. I see. And I just want to do a good job. And if I don't think I can do a good job, I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I understand. But, uh, and I feel like at the same time, uh, maybe being an outsider and not being a, an expert in cinema could bring also an interesting point of view on it. And No, I think you're right. And I, and I you know, I, it feels good to hear you say that. I've Actually, I did. I have talked to Jake about that a good bit. Uh-huh. And just kind of just being intimidated because it's not my wheelhouse. You know what I mean? Like, I can talk about skateboarding till people want to pull their eyeballs out. But, like, (laughs) you know, film, I'm just not as confident. And I feel like that's a big thing with these interviews is feeling confident enough to come up to these dudes and hopefully not make an ass of yourself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I I feel like at the same time, you could probably build this confidence as you did with Chromeball. I mean, when you you first started, you probably didn't feel as confident as now. And uh, if you did something like that, you would probably feel a little uncomfortable at first. But after doing 10, 15, 30 interviews, you'd probably grow into a more confident version of yourself or something. Yeah, I mean, you're probably, I think, I feel like Cromwell was just more, I was confident in the subject. I wasn't so confident in the process of interviewing mm-hmm. someone, whereas it would almost maybe be the opposite if I interviewed someone like a director or something and that I would, I'm pretty confident in my interview process now, but I just, I just want to do a good job, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't think it would be there. And plus, it's just something I like kind of just enjoy in my own time. And I don't want to make it like this whole big thing. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I usually end up my conversations uh, with one question, which is uh, a little cheesy, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just wondering what uh, I'm, I'm always curious to ask this because people tend to respond different things, but uh, it's basically what's the most valuable lesson that you've learned from skating? And for you, uh, I would be curious to ask you what's the most valuable lesson you learned from doing chrome ball rather than the act of skateboarding. But uh, is there something that comes to mind as uh, something you've uh, like a life lesson or, or something that's been very valuable that you've uh, uh, learned through doing chrome ball? Um... In skateboarding, I mean, it's just the golden rule is don't kook it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's really that simple. And it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with Danny Way in that, you know, just you just keep everything in check and, you know, just keep your wits about you. And it's a balance of just, you know, always trying to keep that in mind. It's a hard question, man. Yeah. <laughs> Because you don't want to go like, oh, I've, I learned tenacity from skateboarding, mm -hmm. like that Jerry Seinfeld. Like, they try all day and they make the trick. But, I mean, that's kind of the truth. I remember seeing that, yeah. The thing I've probably learned the most from Chromeball is that before I started Chromeball, I had a lot of this stuff in my head about, like, skateboarding, and I just thought I was kind of nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because in, you know, where I grew up skating in the 80s and 90s, you were a social misfit if you did this. Yeah, and yeah. I always felt it was like kind of a, a social liability. Like when I first started seeing Tara, I never talked about skateboarding stuff for like the first year. Mm -hmm. And then it just so happened that that beautiful losers exhibit popped up in Cincinnati. And Tara does a lot of art. And she's just interested in a, a wide variety of things. So I took her to that. And, like, that exhibit, like, blew my mind. Mm -hmm. It was like someone had been, like, collecting stuff from my life and put it in a warehouse. And I just walked in like, hey. <laughs> But, you know, I'm seeing all this stuff. And it's just like I'm just talking to her about, you know, all this skate stuff. And she had no idea. <laughs> it was like a weird double life or something. Yeah, But yeah. So and I started Chromeball almost like self-conscious. Like, I don't know who cares about this stuff. Like, you know, am I just crazy for like remembering Dan Paterka's part in Next Generation 1992? <laughs> yeah. Turns out I'm not. Turns out a lot of people remember Dan Paterka's part in Next. It's a classic part. But like, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean. I mean, you always know, like, you know, the community in skateboarding is second to none. Mm -hmm. But to be embraced the way I have from just typing shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, you know what I mean? And it really feels good. I started Chromeball to try and repay some sort of debt to skateboarding in, in my mind. Mm -hmm. But that debt has only grown exponentially. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and that's why it's the best, you know. Okay, so let's do these friends' questions. So All a few right. of them are written, some of them are audio. So the first one is from Jonathan Merring. Oh, wow. Okay. I interviewed him about, about a year ago, but almost. And I know you did an interview with him maybe six, eight months ago or something. That's actually the first time I heard of your podcast was he said he did it with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he asked, uh, what's the craziest drama that happened from one of the interviews you've done? Is there something that comes to mind? I'm not sure if he means like during the recording of the interview or maybe from the aftermath of releasing the I'm not sure. Well, I mean, there's there's a few. <laughs> um, I interviewed L Lenny Kirk when he was still in prison. I had to pretend to be his lawyer for two years. Wow. I remember reading about this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh, like he'd send me these big manila envelopes, envelopes of like documents, like Half of it would be the interview that he would type out on a word processor. And the other part was just like random stuff, like various legal documents to make it look like I was a oh, lawyer. Yeah. Okay. And the first draft he did of that 
I read the situation wrong because I thought I would be lucky to get five words from a guy. Mm -hmm. But it turns out, you know, he's in jail. He's got nothing but time. And he's got some kind of weird 80s word processor. Mm -hmm. So I get the first draft back and it's like... It's like 33,000 words or something. Oh, wow. It's like there's no way. Yeah, it's like there's no one is going to read all of this. It's basically a book. Yeah. And, you know, there's some stuff in there that I definitely couldn't have put out. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) But at the time, he thought that he didn't want me to edit any of it because he thought that God was speaking through him, which, (laughs) you know. (laughs) questionable (laughs) (laughs) um but like we ended up doing a second version which was like it was still long as hell but it was still like half that okay but like he had all this stuff in there and stuff that was like bad news but i would have probably like like had my site banned (laughs) 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 and i'd have to call him on the phone like he would he would call me collect from prison and like i'd have to talk to him and it was it ended up working out really good Mm -hmm. but that one was easily the hardest one (laughs) yeah it looks like it for sure that was not an easy one i mean i'm happy with how it all came out but it was it was hard Shout out to Lenny. I hope he's doing good. Okay, this next question is from Rob Brink, whom I know you've worked with uh, on uh, several projects, uh, especially the, the already been done, right? The, mm-hmm. So he said, ask him if there was ever a point where he just got too tired and wanted to stop doing Chromeball scans or interviews. It's a ton of work and time to not get paid. Transcribing interviews is hell. I know he took a break <laughs> from a while as part of his employment with Nike SB. I think he wasn't allowed to do both in the beginning, but I would be interested to know if he ever burns out and what keeps him doing all that work for free. You kind of well, touched on that earlier, but... Um, yeah, I was definitely burnt out. Me walking away from it had nothing to do with Nike SB, like my work there. Mm-hmm. If anything, they kept it going because they didn't want to be seen as the evil corporate company that killed Chromeball. Yeah. So Mark Whiteley made it a point of like, no, you kind of got to keep doing it. I'm like, ooh. Mm-hmm. So like, um, but yeah, I was, I was just, yeah, I was totally burnt out. And like I said, I can't even look at that goddamn scanner now. Mm-hmm. And just keeping doing it for free, like we talked about, I just, I'm a horrible businessman and it allows me the freedom to do whatever I want. Yeah, yeah. He asked another thing. It's also, has he ever fought with his wife over where all the magazines go in the house? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, you know, she's been so, she's been so tolerant of all this stuff and like, Especially when I was doing those scan posts that were like three or four hours a night. Yeah. Like, she didn't sign up for that shit. Like, <laughs> come on, that's insane. And then, like, tell, well, Eric would come out, but he's, you know, scanning a Wade Spire interview from 1991 right now. So he's clearly got, you know, bigger things going on. <laughs> but we never fought over the magazines. The magazines are actually pretty. For what they are, it's they're in two shelves in this spare bedroom. It's it's not that gnarly. Yeah, it's it's not that out of control. Okay, I pick and choose my battles with those, and so luckily we have an extra bedroom, so it works out. He told me actually that uh, you two met because you bought some magazines from him, right, from uh, eBay or something. Do you remember that? Yeah, when Chroma was just kind of starting to like gain speed and popularity. 
I had to get on eBay and fill in holes right. of my collection of stuff. And um, they came, and on the address label of some of the mags was uh, Brink's old address from New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Which is, like, kind of funny. And then, um, yeah, then we just kind of talked from there. We did the ABD thing for a while with him and Josh Friedberg. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Okay, this next one is from Jamie Owens. Uh, we mentioned him uh, a couple times. So he, yeah. he asked a few things, but I'll just keep it to one question. He said, who has been the most elusive interview to get that felt the best to finally snag? Nottis. 100% Nottis. Nottis is my all-time favorite skateboarder. Yeah. 101 is my favorite company. Even like when he was on Santa Monica Airlines and like that whole era with Julian and Mickey and Thebo, that I love that. <laughs> and he was just always my guy growing up. I know you're supposed to say Gons, but I didn't like Psychoskate uh-huh. and Vision was always kind of corny. Mm. And like I liked Gons as like he would have runs in like contest videos and stuff, but like, you know, Nottis has like he's skating a fire hose and he's, mm. you know, board sliding a pickup truck. Uh-huh. So he was my dude. And yeah. then he's just always been so interesting. And I always liked that he left. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, he didn't overstay his welcome. He hurt his ankle. And he was pretty much done after that. And he didn't, he wasn't like, you know, the fallen hero or, you know, there wasn't like a lame period of Nottis. Not saying that with Gons, but I'm just saying. Yeah, no, no, I see what you mean. Yeah, like 101 ended. 101 never got lame. Yeah. Nottis ended. Nottis never got lame. And then, and honestly, Brink hooked me up that interview. Okay. But man, it took like two years to get him on the phone. Uh, like, yeah. of just like, and you don't want to be like the annoying guy, like, hey, Nottis, it's me again. Yeah, Can yeah, we yeah. please do this stupid <laughs> thing? But I remember I finally got him. It was like the day after Christmas. Okay. And it was like the best. It was just, mm-hmm. and he was like so cool and he was funny. I was super nervous. It was the best. I mean, awesome. not to gush. But it was, that was amazing. Holds a special place, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Okay, let's see. This next one is an audio one. Hey, Eric. It's been a long time since we've met for Devoted. I hope you're doing great. I have a question. If there is one skater that you're dreaming to interview, who would it be and why? I don't know if you recognize the voice. This is Luca Buffard from yeah. who made the Devoted uh, documentary five years ago or something. Yeah, he's a good dude. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I remember he came over to film that, and I was like, it was like such chaos. Okay. And uh, I remember my cat. Once again, my cat, the same one that's been a turd through this entire interview. Like I remember <laughs> my, I think my cat clawed his jacket, and it goes, "That was a gift from Gons." And I remember uh-huh. he was. He was so gracious about it, but I know it had to bum him out. And I oh, felt yeah. so bad, like, the entire time. I was like, holy shit. Probably made it even more valuable, like, uh, clawed by uh, Eric Swisher's yeah, cat. Yeah, no, not. <laughs> <laughs> made it even better. That's amazing. I still feel bad to this day. But, yeah, that project turned out great. Is it, if I could interview anyone? Yeah, kind of like, who's your dream skater and, and why? Hmm. Well, shit. You can't do one. That's too hard. <laughs> I would like to do Daniel Harold Sturt. 
the photographer, just because he has so many classic photos and he's a total 100% recluse. Mm -hmm. And you always hear these stories of about him of just being super gnarly. And he would probably end up hating my guts and burning down my house. (laughs) But it would, you know, be a pretty good interview. I'd say that. and, And honestly, I would love to interview Rob Deerdick. Oh, yeah. Just from where he's from, you know, Southern Ohio, and he is always kind of the unspoken partner of Alien Workshop. He had so much pull on that with Mike Hill and Chris Carter. Mm-hmm. And he's such an amazing storyteller. And he was around for all that stuff. I know he was just on Nine Club, which yeah. was good. And Rick Howard would be pretty sick, too. This next one is from Tim Anderson. Uh, we've oh, wow. him as okay. well a few times. Yeah. Hey, Eric, it's Tim Anderson. So I got five questions for you. First question is, do you have a favorite Cromball interview? I know that's kind of an annoying question, so sorry. Second one is, who was the longest person that it took you to like lock down for an interview? Third one is, do you have any like top missed questions or like questions that you regret not asking somebody after the interview is over? Fourth question is, what non-skateboard interviewers do you like, like interviewers outside of the realm of the skateboarding media? And the last question is, were there any interviews you read as a kid that like influenced you or stuck with you over the years? And can we get a Rick Howard Chrome ball? Anyway, thanks for the years of inspiration for being a guiding light for everything good in skateboarding media and the scans, of course. Love you, man. Oh, man, that's amazing. <laughs> so you yeah, answered man. a few of these actually throughout the interview, like the non-skateboarding interviewers that you liked. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the favorite Chrome ball interview, I didn't want to ask you because it's like choosing your favorite child or something or... Yeah, uh, it's a difficult one, but uh I mean, I'm lucky in that no one's been a jerk to me. There's always like that saying, never meet your heroes. So I don't believe oh, yeah. that at all. Everyone's been super nice to me. Ooh, I just thought I'd love to interview Jim Thebo too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can keep going on that one forever. There really hasn't been an interview that was bad for me. Like, I mean, and they're all different. Like some are just super cool to talk to that guy. Sometimes you just have like a good vibe with someone and it's like you've known him forever. Sometimes, and there's been a few of these where it's almost like a therapy session where some of these guys have no idea why you're interviewing them and they have no idea what they meant to so many people. I know Shorty Steve Olson had no idea why I even wanted to talk to him about (laughs) this stuff. He just thought it was like the weirdest thing in the world. Yeah. You know, and talking about this, I could tell that after a while he thought like, hey, maybe this, you know, people do give a shit, which they clearly do. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's always nice. But yeah, I mean, there's, they've all been great. I mean, obviously, Nottis was great. Yep. Max Schaff is really fucking cool. Ave is really cool. Because oh, yeah. he's just like, no bullshit. And he's just, he's great. But I mean, yeah, I'm lucky to have talked to any of these guys. And I'm not just saying that. Like, I really, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Question I've missed. I know this, this one kind of haunts me. Again, the Nottis interview I didn't ask him, which there's there's a ton of these ones that haunt me, but this one yeah, haunts yeah. me the most. And I've actually asked him about it later. Mm-hmm. It was how he felt, him and Skip felt with that thing Rocco did with Santa Monica Airlines, where all of a sudden it was SMA Rocco Division. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think Rocco really cleared that with those guys. Okay. And then, like, if you remember, World Industries started out as SMA World Industries, which is a total just... And, like, I remember I was, like, 12. I thought SMA World Industries and Santa Monica Airlines were the same thing. Right. And it was just Rocco just totally stealing brand identity to get the hooks in. And I didn't ask Nottis about that, and I blew it. <laughs> so, Yeah. Did you forget to ask him or did you did you just not get the nerve to ask him or something? Or? I mean, he's like my favorite skater and like I'd been a fan of his for like 30 years. Sometimes there's just so many things you want to pack into. Yeah. And like like if I were to interview Rick Howard, yeah. fingers crossed, there's just so much shit you want to ask. And then sometimes you just, you just floor fit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. you just... I blew it on that one. I mean, I, on that question, I blew it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. and then like on on those early ones, that's kind of why I've gone back later. Is like, hey, let's do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like perfect it or make it better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The other one was like the longest person it took to lock down for an interview. Is there someone you, you mentioned a few people that it, it was uh, like Nadas? You said it was like two years or something. Yeah. Nadas was a while. Lacero was a lot a while. I mm. mean, like I said earlier, I don't start research until someone agrees to do it. Mm -hmm. But then there's always like that weird thing that happens sometimes. And I'm sure you've dealt with this, too, where they agree to do it. You do your research and then you can't get them oh, yeah. on the phone. I even kind I of did this like to that, you yeah. as well. I apologize. <laughs> on my own. Here I am complaining about these guys and I did the same damn thing to you. <laughs> But like I have a, I just call them like orphan interviews where I oh, just yeah, have these yeah. questions ready to go. And then every now and then I'll hit them up to say like, Hey, we never did do that interview. Mm, and yeah. like, cause I mean, for me, that work's already done. So if I can get them on that and, and, and that's worked out a few times where like I swung back around and got people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just timing. People go through a lot. Exactly. Of, you know, people are constantly going through different stuff and you have a good attitude about it. And again, I apologize for. Oh yeah. No, 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 no worries. I mean, taken forever <laughs> that's that's perfectly fine yeah as i said it's uh it makes it all the more worthwhile you know like to wait for it i hope so <laughs> <laughs> so this one's from we mentioned him again earlier michael burnett so he said who are the three most important figures in the evolution of modern street skating and why <laughs> <laughs> it's a very serious question <laughs> from him especially oh man Michael Burnett bringing the heat. Okay, I would say Gons. I'm not going Rodney because that's freestyle. Right, yeah. I'm going to say Gons. And then second, I would say Mike Carroll. Okay. Because Gons and Nottis is kind of like the Big Bang. You know, they're coming up with all this stuff on their own and people are laughing at them. Mm. And it's seen as a novelty. Whereas, like, I see, I think Carroll's questionable part, it was the total shift change mm -hmm. in skating where it became like that kind of like city skater like plaza yeah. skater and more of like a hip-hop kind of feel mm -hmm. and it was also like when pros started becoming like 16 and they were like for lack of a better term like video pros mm -hmm. and then i would say in that same video but it wasn't he was such an anomaly at the time People didn't even skate like this dude until like five years later. I would say Pat Duffy. Oh, yeah. I mean, because I was looking, I was trying to find like a handrail guy. Mm -hmm. 
But like that questionable part was such a fucking dummy smack to the world of like, who the fuck's this guy? And how is he skating this shit? And like, what even is this? You know what I mean? It was it was so insane. Mm -hmm. And like that was really the template for because I mean, before that you had like you had your tech guys and your style guys and you had your gnarly guys who just went huge. And then like, but Pat could do all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Yeah. And that right there was like the key importance of like video, you know, as well. Mm. So, and I didn't mean to double down on questionable, but <laughs> yeah, worse no, things but it to just do. makes sense. Yeah, those are really good ones. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Okay, this next one is from Patrick O'Dell. Oh wow! Okay. So he said, "Ask him about why he ended the site with the Natus interview." Again, he was just my favorite. And I mean, to me, like with 101 and what Nanas did skating wise and just like his artwork and like all this stuff he did and like the quality of the interview. And he doesn't really give that many interviews. Yeah. I feel like skaters of my generation, like Nottis is, there's not a guy out there that disliked Nottis. Sure. You know yeah. what I mean? And I couldn't get Blender. You know, I, I tried to get that, but it just, Nottis just felt like the move. And honestly, that was one of the caveats. I don't know how seriously he took it, but that was one of the caveats when I told him was like, you know, like you would probably be the last interview I do. Like I'm thinking about ending the site. Would you do this for me? And okay. he did. I mean, and at the time, I really meant to end it. Mm -hmm. But it just, that just felt right. Yeah, yeah, You know? Yeah. He also asked, uh, why are you called Chops? <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, uh, there's that expression, like, what am I, chopped liver? Okay. And my mom used to say that all the time. And in my short-lived, ill-advised tagging phase, <laughs> I was Chops. And uh, I would just, I was like the self-deprecatingness of my mom. I don't even know if that's a word, self-deprecatingness. We'll figure that out. We'll <laughs> fix that in post. But like I was, I was like when my mom would say that. And then I liked chops just because it's, there's like several ways to take it. There's like, you know, like there's the cutting action. There's, you know, skills in something. Mm. And, uh, you know, versus like scanning things. And uh, I don't know. I don't really have a good answer. I, <laughs> I had to come up with a name for the site as like a nom de plume, I believe oh, yeah. you would say. Yeah. yeah and uh, I remember the first one I tried putting Encyclopedia Brown, who was like that kid detective in those children's books. And that was too long. Oh, yeah. So I just went with Chops. And it's here tough. I am. I wish I would have thought of like a cool name. Again, had I known people would give a shit, I would have mm -hmm. thought of something else like... No, it, it works. Yeah. It's uh, short and sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then he good in that vortex of like, man, that would be a cool name. But yeah, Chops, here we are. Okay. This next one is from John Rattray. You interviewed him, but I don't remember when that was. So I have um... not interviewed John. Oh, you haven't? I thought yeah, John. John is in that fraternity of dudes who I consider close friends of mine that I can't really interview anymore. Oh, because you worked at Nike together, or I was John Rattray's boss for a short time, which is like insane to think about. <laughs> But yeah, like um, I helped get Rattray on at SB. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually asks about He's that. He's a good yeah. friend. So he said, in the course of your life and work, you have interviewed many pros and former pros. But how many former pro skaters have you interviewed for an office job in Beaverton? <laughs> of those former pros, of those former pros, who did you hire? What were the factors that influenced your decision? Meaning, what were the characteristics of said former pro turned office worker that stood out as good qualities? 
I mean, those questions right there are why you hire John Bradbury. <laughs> He's just the smartest dude. He's just funny and just a total unique personality. Incredible skater. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he is the only one I hired. He's still there, which yeah, is amazing. And uh, yeah, John's just, he always has some left field point of view that I always appreciate. Being in an office with him was always kind of funny. <laughs> just, you know, just random shit, you know. Your typical, like, office day job stuff. But no, it's John Rattray, and he's doing his John Rattray thing. Um, <laughs> but no, he's, he's, he's a great dude, and he's got a lovely family. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm so happy and proud of him for all that stuff, that Why So Sad mission oh, stuff yeah, he's yeah. doing. That's so crucial, and to see his evolution as a friend, to see him take that stuff on, is it's incredible. Very inspiring dude, for sure, yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. And I also love that predatory bird stuff he used to do. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like the little Wu-Tang, but it was like predatory bird in there. I always love that stuff. Uh, Okay, I have just a few last ones, and then I'll let you go, I promise. So, Eric, Kevin from Look Back Library wants to know when you're going to pay him a visit at the headquarters in San Diego. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is like the wildest, like, this is your life shit. (laughs) Okay, Kevin from Look Back Library. He just lives like 45 minutes down the street from my house. Uh-huh. But I moved down here and it was like pandemic lockdown for like two years. Yeah, yeah. And then I have not been to, he always calls it HQ. You need to come to HQ. <laughs> and to be fair, I'm going to throw Jamie Owens under the bus here too. He always invites Jamie Owens down. And for some reason, we just haven't gone down. Whether it was like the pandemic or, I mean, that guy's like the skate magazine Kerouac. He's like in his van, like in Maine or something. Like he's always driving around. So he's either on the road. I will be, I... Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Quentin, you're doing good, man. (laughs) You are doing good. So, but yes, you heard it here, folks. I will go meet Kevin. Now you have to. (laughs) Right, yeah. yeah. You made a commitment right here today. (laughs) Right, right. You heard it here first. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, this next one's from Aaron Meza. Yeah. So he said, how does looking at a skate mag as an adult differ from when you were 14? Oh, man. I mean, yeah, just you hit your 20s and you have so many other like priorities in life. You know what I mean? Mm. And even so now, there's so much more information out there. Whereas like us old timers and Maze is even older than I am. A lot of times that magazine was all you had. Mm-hmm. And there would be like a couple of videos per year if you were lucky. Yeah. So you just, that magazine was all the skateboarding you were going to get that month. So you just memorized every page because what else are you going to look at? Exactly. You know what yeah. I mean? And a lot of things have changed since then. But I mean, like skateboarding at age 15 it will always be the best no matter what it is. But yeah, yeah. my set of rules in the 90s was different than a 15 year old now. This next one is from Andy Jenkins. We mentioned him earlier also. I'm kind of like kind of humbled that these guys wrote questions for me. Yeah, no, no. You got like heroes of mine asking. That's crazy. You've you've done interviews with uh, a lot of these guys actually. but uh, So yeah, it made sense. So he asked, what made you want to use Q&As as your format? Was it tough to get your first few? Huff and BA were pretty heavy starters. 
Yeah. Um, the Q&A format is just the easiest way for me to get out of the way and just get straight to what they have to say. Like, I know that there's like that kind of like GQ style of articles of, you know, it's almost like a story of Eric looked out into the distance as he pondered his answer, drawing deep from his American spirit. <laughs> I don't want to put that shit in there. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to have like, here's my question. Here's what these guys have to say. You know, I try to like 86 as much of me out of these interviews as much as possible. Just because, you know, who cares about me? You know, I mean, like, I don't care about me. I want to see what BA has to say. And yeah, getting those, like I said earlier, getting those early interviews were impossible. Mm. But people helped me out and hooked it up. He also asked, how hard is it to search out guests? And do you keep a list of future prospects? And who's at the top? Yeah, I have I have like a little list in my phone of like just kind of just people I want to get to at some point. Uh-huh. And sometimes they've been on there forever. I'm just it's either bad timing with them or like I'm just not sparked to do it mm -hmm. right now or maybe something weird happened or maybe they were just on maybe they just had an epically oh, later yeah, yeah. and I need for that to a like nine club or something. Yeah, and maybe I need that to die down. or But yeah, I always have like a list of, of stuff going. I don't really have anyone at the top, really. I mean, some guys will always be at the top. It's like whenever Rick Howard wants to do yeah. it, he will immediately go to the top. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, Okay, I have two last ones. So this one is from Neil McDonald. Science versus life guy. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So he asked, what is his dream magazine stuff if you had one editor, two writers... And two photographers and a designer if he wants. Holy shit, that's <laughs> such a good... That's a tough one, but I thought it was an interesting one, yeah. Okay. Is this current day or is this like all time? Sure, yeah. No, let's, let's go with current, yeah. Okay, that's a little easier. Photographers, I would have Spike and Matt Price. Okay. Editor, probably Mesa. Or I might bring Lance Dawes out of retirement. Oh, yeah. Or even Whiteley. I'll go Lance Dawes, because those early slaps were just so fun and just loose and crazy. Mm -hmm. And writers, I would go Farron, and I would go one of those editor guys that didn't get the editor. <laughs> <laughs> like like Mesa or even like, uh, I was like Clyde Singleton's articles. I always thought those were, were funny. Okay. Or honestly, you know who would be really good would be Pulio. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's go Farron and Pulio. That's a cool magazine right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'd, I'd subscribe, shit. Okay, so very last question. This one is from, from your wife, Tara, actually, whom I, <laughs> I, I, write to her, I wrote to her to ask her if she Really? Wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she said, I'm going to butcher his name, but she said, ask him how he connected with Ron Knigge. I'm not sure if... Uh, how do you say his last name? Ron Knigge. He Knigge, was pro yes. for... She's good. <laughs> she has been paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was pro for New Deal in the early 90s. He was super tech when everyone was super tech. Uh -huh. And then he was in that Children of the Sun video or video that's like after everyone was super tech. And he was like super, that's a super good part. But like everyone was just so fixated on him being super tech guy. Ron is like the nicest dude in the world. But mm -hmm. how I, that's good. She did good on that one. Mm-hmm. How I connected with Ron, and this kind of goes back to a running theme in this interview of me being a crazy cat person. Oh, yeah. Being a crazy cat person, I follow a few cat accounts on Instagram. <laughs> okay. 
as one is to do when they're a you know seventy five year old widow stuck in a middle aged man's body. <laughs> but I followed this one cat account, Ziggy, Zappa, and Zoe, for like a year just because they looked like this other cat I had, okay. uh, Murray. Kind of like the spirit animal of my whole existence was this Siamese cat named Murray. Okay. So I followed this one account for like a year. And I just liked it because it was like, oh, it's funny captions and they're cute cats and yay, cats. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, there's a photo of the one of the cats and he's sitting on Ron, just like in this totally non-related thing. And it says like hashtag Ron Kinnicky. And I'm just like... <laughs> Is that Ron? Like, and like, like yeah. he was like completely off the radar, and he was always one of my favorites growing up. And <laughs> that's amazing. I didn't combine the worlds, you know what I mean? And like, I'd always wanted to interview Ron, but he wasn't on social media at the time. He wasn't. He was completely off the radar. He was another one of those dudes that didn't think anyone cared, and he was one of my favorites. So I remember I just DM'd this account, and it turned out to be Ron's wife. It was like. Is that really, is that the pro skater, Ron? And she was like, it is. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, and that's literally how I found and interviewed Ron. And, <laughs> so random. Yeah, and and that's just the power of the internet, really. Yeah, it's just yeah. the, the distribution, you know what I mean? That's really all it is. But, yeah, that's a good question. Good job, Tara. Well, yeah, let's wrap it up here. Thank you so much, Eric. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much, Quentin. You did a great job. This was really good. Thank you. Yeah, coming from you, that means a lot. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's it for my conversation with Eric. Follow him on Instagram at Chromeball. Go visit chromeballincident.blogspot.com to check out his countless scans and amazing interviews from the last 15 years. You can also read his work in every issue of Closer Skateboarding Magazine, which comes out every three months. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boards.